This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Morning, everybody. Thanks so much for uh, being here. Please open your Bibles with me to the Old Testament, second book in the Bible, Exodus. Chapter 20. Please turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. If you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, we'd like you to have one so you can follow along. If you'll raise your hand, our ushers will bring you a free copy of the Scriptures. You can take it home with you and you'll be able to follow along today as we look at the last commandment, the tenth commandment. As we finish our series, summer series, on the Ten Commandments. We'll just look at one verse. Verse 17. Exodus chapter 20. Jake said part of Lauren's testimony resonated with him. The part that resonated with me was the ministry she received VFC that was awkward and confusing. That could be a banner over our pastoral ministry here at Cornerstone. So, yes. And now we will have another awkward and confusing sermon to enjoy. I'm just so thankful the Lord uses different means to accomplish His purposes. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is God's Word. It has authority and relevance in our lives today. I want to pray for illumination before we look carefully at it. Father, I pray for your mercy. Lord, we pray that you would manifest your presence through your spirit and grant us eyes to see what you want us to see in this 10th commandment this morning. Thank you for your commandments, Lord. Give us hearts that delight in your law. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a reason that do not covet is the last of the Ten Commandments. It it comes at the end because in many ways it summarizes all the commands. It's really impossible, isn't it, to covet and to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. 
45 years ago today, the Lord saved me and my wife, Sherry. I always mark the day and I often repeat the story to this long-suffering congregation. <laughs> Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up and then in his joy... He goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. This this parable that Jesus told describes how someone is converted and brought into the kingdom of heaven. The, The kingdom of heaven is the home of the king. It's where the king dwells. And conversion is when a person discovers a treasure and is motivated by joy to sell everything that he has in order that he can have that treasure. The desire for the kingdom of heaven is a desire for a relationship with the Lord, which brings unsurpassed and unequaled joy. The treasure is fellowship with God in Jesus Christ. 45 years ago, Sherry and I entered the kingdom of heaven when we were deeply converted. Christ became for us a treasure by the grace of God, of joy. We experienced the surpassing value of knowing Christ. He pardoned our sins. He provided us righteousness, His own fellowship was made possible. Relationship with him was made possible. And it was a treasure. He is the all-satisfying treasure. Deuteronomy 30, in the Old Testament, in the law. And the Lord, your God, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, that you may live. The most noticeable and significant work that God did and we experienced on August 21st, 1977, was that our desires changed. He changed our hearts by the grace of God. In the last 45 years, we have experienced the work of the Spirit in many different ways. We've experienced the gifts of the Spirit. We've experienced the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We're grateful to God for all these good things. But nothing compares to the transformation of our desires. Early that Sunday morning, we experienced the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. We were born again. It's what Jeremiah was talking about in chapter 24. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and they, I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. In Ezekiel, I will give them one heart and a new spirit and I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. 
and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. Conversion is a powerful experience. That's what happened to us. We were born again. We experienced this work of God that changes your heart. Without this transplant, you will never know God. You will never love God and obey Him. We're singing about it this morning. It's a sovereign work of His grace. I was born again 45 years ago today. And for the first time in my life, it was on the Lord's Day, and I wanted to go to church because the Lord was my God. I was supposed to go to church with Sherry and her family that morning, but I called and I just said the Lord had converted me in the middle of the night. And I called her that morning. I said, I'm going to church with this guy, Coach Fetty, who'd been preaching the gospel to us. And so it ended up, instead of going to church with her family, I went with Coach Fetty and Sherry came with us. And that morning we attended a small Pentecostal church in rural West Virginia, a converted bar called Faith Temple. There were no snakes, but everything else you might imagine was going on in that place. The preacher was one of those guys that gasped for air in every sentence, if you've ever heard it, when he preached. He had a prophetic word for Sherry that morning, and before the meeting was over, she came to Christ. I think the best way to describe that first Lord's Day for us was happiness. (laughs) We were just happy. We're still pretty happy. A little tired, but still pretty happy. The quest is over. That's what this command is all about. It's about desiring God. The tenth commandment is about our heart. It's the heart, the core of who we are. It goes beyond externals. It goes beyond religion. It speaks to our our heart. It affects our behavior, but it speaks to our heart and it you can't look at this command without realizing your need for God. You can't do this. You need His power. It's the perfect command to end the Ten Commandments, which is why it's there. It's the perfect command to end this series on the Ten Commandments. So this morning, we're going to make three statements about this commandment that I hope will serve us as we seek to faithfully obey this command and all the commands. Statement number one, the tenth commandment is important. The tenth commandment is important. It is last, but it is not least. And it would be a mistake to dismiss this command as less important than the other commands. Remember, In the text, Exodus 20, we don't find these called commandments. That It's just God spoke 
words. So this tenth word addresses the issue of coveting and, and a wrong desire, an inappropriate desire, a craving to have something or someone that doesn't belong to you, that it belongs to your neighbor. A literal translation is, you, you shall not covet the household of your neighbor. You shall not covet the wife of your neighbor or his male servant or his maidservant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor, you shall not covet it. It addresses a heart. It, it addresses desires, thoughts, attitudes. In the core of our being. But, but it's no less important for the community, we will see than the others that address behavior. All the others to be obeyed must have the heart addressed too. The Lord sees the misery. He hears the cries. He knows the suffering of the powerless, the vulnerable. He's building a community, a nation. He hears the victims of crimes. These are people made in His image. You are someone who is made in His image. You are made for His glory. He cares about people. He cares about His people. And He has called these Israelites into a relationship with Him. And He gives them these commands to protect them. They're about faithfulness, to the Lord who is mighty and awesome to deliver his people. This command is an important command. You shall not covet the household of your neighbor. It's a simple command. It, it's just you shall not covet. And then he mentions the household. And then, then, he, then he goes on to mention items in the household. The wife the servants, the ox, the donkey. And then there's a catch-all phrase, nothing, nothing in your neighbor's house are you allowed to covet. You're not allowed to crave this. It belongs to your neighbor. And, and the purpose of the list isn't to just say, as long as you don't covet these things, you're cool. In fact, if you look in the book of Deuteronomy where the Ten Commandments are repeated, the neighbor's field is mentioned. It heaps one possible object of coveting on top of another for a reason. And that is to show us the seriousness of the sin of covetousness. That's why this command is so important. The Bible speaks in very strong terms about coveting. Paul in Romans 1, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. 
They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. <laughs> That's a nasty list. Coveting is no little sin. It's right in there with the big boys, isn't it? Paul says in Ephesians 5, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not, he's talking to the churches, must not even be named among you. Covetousness is one of those sins that shouldn't even be named in the community of God's people. The Ten Commandments are a series of principles. They're, they're instructions from God for His people that address the conscience. And we need to understand that the Ten Commandments do not move downward in importance from the First Commandment to the Tenth. The Tenth Commandment is, is important. Ed Welch, a biblical counselor, writing in the Journal of Biblical Counseling, says, whatever you call it, Many people are owned by their desires and reckless indulgence. Alcoholics Anonymous calls it self-will-run riot, which is a very apt description. In fact, sin itself can be summarized as I want and I want more. Sin is a reckless consumer. Thus, the Tenth Commandment. It's a gift from God to reveal your sin is not your friend. It, will, it can overwhelm you. I have a picture I want to show you of my granddaughter, Brooklyn. And it's my 45th spiritual birthday, as Jake called it this morning. And so I get to show a picture of my granddaughter, just for me. Uh, I think we all can agree she is cute. She's a little over a year old. She's very small, but walks and waves and smiles at everybody. I, she lives in California, and I've been out there a couple times, and I have had so many people say she's cute. In fact, I've had a number of people say, that's the cutest kid I've ever seen in my life. And I've had him say to me, you are lucky. I've seen people who don't know us taking her picture. In this picture, she is making, she has a little sign she makes when she wants more of whatever it is. So if she's drinking something or eating something, she wants... She couldn't say more before. Now she can say more, but she's kept up with the sign language. So you can see she's, she's saying more, more. When she says that to grandfather, it's like, what, what, uh, what else do you want? <laughs> Is that all? Because you can have anything and everything you want. That's my job description. It was cute. Now it's not always cute. <laughs> what we're learning... It was what you will learn about every kid. They can be cute. None are this cute, but they can be cute. 
but they are each and every one corrupt. When she wants more and can't have more, which comes into play as you get older, she isn't the cutest kid you've ever seen when she wants more and she doesn't get more, okay? She's more like Gollum. <laughs> Remember the former hobbit? He was, he was like a, a hobbit-like guy, and he's transformed into this strange creature who has this you know, gurgling kind of cough. He, he becomes deformed and twisted in body and mind because of his desire for the ring and the, the desire for the power that the one who possesses the ring has. Well, Brookie is cute, but she becomes like Gollum or Gollum-like. when she doesn't get more, more. The point is, is that like every one of us, she naturally covets. You don't have to be trained to covet. You are born a coveter. Our desires run riot and we can be consumed by our wants and this commandment is addressed to us. It is a gift. It's, it's, it's addressed to a believer, not a lawyer. It relates to our inner desire. It doesn't require any outward action. It's difficult to observe. You can't police coveting, can you? But it's so important. It's such a gift. Kevin DeYoung, writing in the, his book on the Ten Commandments, says... It can seem strange that the Ten Commandments start with such lofty ideals. I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. And then ends with a prosaic whimper, stop looking at that donkey. <laughs> but do you see how the two are connected? God is saying, I'm the only God you need. Don't, don't turn to Baal. Don't, don't turn to statues. Don't turn to animals or friends, or abilities either. Let nothing else capture your gaze and affections ahead of me. The tenth commandment is important. God spoke it, and it is good. Statement number two we can make if we want to obey this commandment and all the commandments. Statement number two, the tenth commandment does not mean all desires are sinful. The Tenth Commandment is not, you shall not desire, or you shall not want good things. That's not the meaning of the command. It's a, it's a summary command for all the commandment. It's, it's the final commandment, and it forbids an individual to covet, excessively desire what belongs to another. This kind of wrong desire... To have someone's wife or property can lead to adultery. It can lead to theft. It can lead to murder. It is like all, unlike all the other commands. It, it does address the desires of the heart, the inner thoughts, the feelings, the central core of who we are. It goes deeper. But, but all the commands hinge on the heart 
Jesus said in Matthew 23, we're going to study the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to see he, he goes beyond the externals. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. We are commanded to go beyond, throughout Scripture, outward obedience. Our hearts, our hearts have to be patterned after these principles. We have to have a change of heart. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. He's getting at the heart. Matthew 5 again You've heard that it was said you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. These verses are, are from the best sermon ever preached. And Jesus emphasizes that to interpret the Ten Commandments as requiring only an outward obedience is to misunderstand their purpose. The, the envy, the greed, the lust, that's what we have to get at. They can destroy the community. They can harm other people. But coveting is not the same as having desires. Jesus was hungry and he wanted food. Jesus was thirsty and he wanted things to drink. When he was going to the cross, he cried out to his father. He had a desire not to go to the cross. If there was some other way he could have fulfilled the will of God in his life, of his father, he wanted to find it. The desire was not sinful. The Bible often talks about desires that, that are good in their proper place. The Song of Solomon celebrates a, a desire for sexual intimacy. The book of Proverbs encourages us to work hard so we can improve our life, so we can do better financially. That's wisdom, not coveting. We aren't commanded to have no dreams, no ambitions. The Bible says our problem is not that we desire things, that, but that we desire the wrong things. Or that we desire good things in the wrong way. The Lord doesn't say, shame on you for wanting things. He says, I want to give you the best things. I want to give you better things. I want you to desire those things. Delight yourself in the Lord. We covet when we desire something or someone in the wrong way or something that's not ours. We want what they have. And the commandment is about failing to love your neighbor, failing to rejoice with them. It's about self-love. It's about self-absorption, self-importance, self-regard, excessive 
self-regard. It's, it's about harming your neighbor. With good reason, the Tenth Commandment mentions your neighbor three times. Covenant, coveting destroys community and relationships. Finally, a third statement we can make is the Tenth Commandment is a command to be content. It's a command to be content. Desmond Alexander in his commentary on Exodus says, Coveting is not only wrong because it reflects a self-centered craving to deprive one's neighbor of something that is an integral part of his or her life, but more importantly, it is an offense to God for it expresses criticism of how He, how God provides for each individual. Coveting is wrong because it's an expression of discontent. We, we have to learn to be content. In fact, we need to learn to rejoice God's provision in our life. The Tenth Commandment is such a gift because it points us. It comes in and corrects us and adjusts us and points us to the secret of contentment. Paul says in Colossians 3, covetousness is idolatry. Remember that. Covetousness is idolatry. And we want to be set free and have no other gods before us. This last week I was sent a podcast that the Christian publisher Crossway does, and they interview some of their authors, and, and the last week they, they had a woman that I just have the deepest respect and love for, Johnny Erickson Tata. She's a quadriplegic, and she was observing 55 years since she had a diving accident and broke her neck when she was 17 years old. I, I've never read anything by her or heard her speak without being affected. My kids have vivid memories of me trying to read her bio biography at the dinner table, but always ending up crying, not able to finish. She said she initially didn't want to live 10 years in a wheelchair. Now it's been 55. She was afraid every night, knowing she'd be waking up again in the morning facing paralysis. But the Lord led her. 2 Corinthians 1, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. This is her story. This is our story. The Lord just delivers us again and again. He, he specializes in delivering his people from their fears. And Johnny testified that she battled fear every, she battles fear every day. 55 years of battling fear. Every day, she leans on God's promises. He had delivered her and he would. She set her hope on him. Every day, she says she experiences a deliverance. Oh Lord, she gets up, she goes, here we go again. Paralysis. Another day, she's afraid. 55 years of grace and comfort. That's her testimony. What is so powerful is her joy. It's the fruit of the Spirit. 
There's no other explanation. She's more joyful than you are. She says her disability is like a sheepdog. Sheepdogs herd unruly sheep in a direction they usually don't want to go because they're stupid. (laughs) Suffering with paralysis is like a sheepdog snapping at her heels, she said, biting, growling, herding her to the cross of Christ where, humanly speaking, she wouldn't naturally go. She calls paralysis her friend, her nasty friend. (laughs) But a friend, nevertheless, leading her to the goodness and graciousness of a faithful God in the midst of affliction. When, when she first had her accident, she didn't know anyone in a wheelchair. She didn't even know there was such a thing as a quadriplegic. She knew about paraplegics, but she'd never heard of anyone who couldn't use their legs or their arms and hands. She learned about it the hard way, didn't she? She lives in constant pain. She says her pain drives her crazy at night. And she doesn't want to ask her husband to turn her again the third or fourth time. So she doesn't bother him. And she, in pain, she turns to the Word. She says she thinks about verses like 2 Corinthians 4. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. So she sits there and she prays, Lord... The promise of your word is I'm afflicted, but I will not be crushed. So she she says, pain, I'm not going to let you crush me. She says she's never been disappointed. God has always been faithful. Now, when I listen to Johnny, I look in the mirror and I I literally say, shut up. (laughs) Shut up. I don't want to hear from you anymore. What what kind of miracle would would make you stand up and take notice today and say, wow, God's alive, God's at work? Well, for me, it's 55 years of paralysis. And being just filled with Christ-exalting joy. And she has a Facebook secret private page that's called Pain Pals. And there's 50 others just like her. And they encourage one another with John Owen and Charles Spurgeon and John Piper. Wouldn't you like to be on it? She won't take any more people. Just to have... These folks are known by their faith. You know what she says? She excels at recognizing my need. I'm excellent at recognizing my need. She has learned the the secret of contentment. She's an extreme example of someone fighting to be content with God's providential care. The point is, Johnny has lots of desires. It's not wrong to have desires. But She is content in Christ. She is filled with joy. John Piper writes, We are commanded not to covet, and it's obvious that every commandment not to have a certain feeling is also a commandment to feel a certain way. I don't know that that's obvious, but 
He's pointing it out, and I think it's true. The opposite of covetousness is contentment with what we have. And in Hebrews 13.5, this is exactly what we're commanded to experience. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. That's Johnny Erickson Tata. The Lord is eager to meet us. He is eager to change our hearts. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? He is eager right now to change us so that we aren't walking around all day saying more. More. He's eager to change us. He's eager to convert us. If you've never been converted, I don't think it's an accident you're here. I think God has to do a deep work in your heart for you to come to Him. We love Him because He first loved us. If you're here this morning and you're not converted, pray. Pray and ask God to convert you. Pray and ask Him to rescue you and deliver you. He loves that prayer. He's eager to answer those prayers. We are converted when Christ becomes our treasure. Paul Tripp wrote a book called Lost in the Middle about midlife and the grace of God. He says this, What you worship will make a huge difference in how you deal with the things that almost everyone faces during the midlife years. To the degree that your heart has been captured by something in creation, even if you have not realized it, midlife will be extremely difficult for you. So let's pause there is your season of life. And I, I think this is happening at much younger ages now. I think midlife now is about 18. <laughs> and it comes back again like every decade. Multiple midlife crisis. Read this book before you turn 40. Midlife will be extremely difficult for you. You see... It's these very things in creation that tend to slip from our fingers in the midlife years. If, if you have looked to these things, these creaturely comforts, these things in this world for life, they'll start to fail you in the rocky realities of midlife struggle. We are converted when Christ becomes our treasure. Johnny is an illustration. He never fails. He never fails. Sherry and I, we'd just like to say 45 years. We can't begin to compare. We've never experienced anything like the suffering Johnny's gone through. But we can say, he's always been faithful to us. We have no regrets. 
we are amazed by the grace of God. We still have joy in Him. The older I get, the more I realize that Nehemiah 8.10 is, is crucial. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's make this the work of our lives. As we end this series on the Ten Commandments with this commandment addressing our soul, may the Lord use it to set us free so we desire God. That we are set free from coveting all the stuff that doesn't produce joy, doesn't give joy, doesn't produce life, always fails you. May this command be a means of grace to change us so that we desire the one that is all satisfying. That we enjoy the surpassing value of knowing Christ day in and day out. Amen. Father, that's our prayer this morning. We need your help, Lord. We want to excel at recognizing our need for you this morning. I want to be excellent, Lord, at seeing my need for God. And Lord, as a congregation, we cry out to you. Prayer is an expression of our trust in you, Lord. So you haven't given us this command to condemn us. You've given us this command to lead us to Christ so that we can experience all that he is for us, all that you are for us in Christ Jesus so that we can come to the cross this morning and enjoy your mercy. Do a mighty work in our congregation. Let us experience revival in our church and in our hearts, Lord, so that we desire you and are satisfied in you more than ever. For your glory alone, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.